So I want to give you a warm welcome this morning. Uh, if you're here in person at our meeting at 140 Clark Street, and, uh, or if you're online and you're joining us uh, from wherever you might happen to be right now, it's so good to be here together. And if you're a visitor, you're a guest, or you're returning to the church, even better to welcome you as well. We're so excited to see Kinyunga and Pamela and their children here with us as they are back in Fredericton. We're so excited you're back. <laughs> Welcome. We've been living in Ottawa for a few years. For others who are guests with us this morning, so good to have you here with us. Uh, my name's Mark. I'm one of the leaders uh, of the church here. And um, we've been looking at the book of Philippians for the last few months and certainly over the whole of summer. And we're wrapping that series up today. Um, summer is just about over, sadly. And next week, we're going to have our Vision Sunday um, and on our Vision Sunday, we're going to be looking at all of the things that we feel God is leading us into at this time. Unusual time, as we all know, um, but we believe God's still working and active in His church. He's still leading us into things, and we'd love to share with you next week. Myself and Joe will be outlining all that we feel God's saying to us. So please do be here or online with us, book in early. Uh, we believe it's going to be a really important weekend and an important uh, Sunday as we look at that. And then after that, we're going to start into a new series. And you can all start to uh, take your guesses as to what that might be and speculate. You can, we can have a little list and everyone can sign up. And we already know what it is, but we're not telling you yet. <laughs> okay, let's have a look at Philippians chapter 4. In his letter, Paul's been addressing various things so far. He's been looking at humility. He's been looking at church unity. He's been looking at anxiety. We looked at that the last two times when we preached through Philippians. The final thing that Paul wants to do in this letter is to thank the Philippian church for a financial gift that they sent to him. Um, as we read it, we might think, well, he's kind of doing it in a bit of a confusing way. You know, is he really wanting the money? Does he not want it? Does he need it? Is he not really needing it? We're going to try and figure it out together in the next 30 minutes. Um, so let's get right into it. If you've got a Bible, you can read it in there. I'm reading from the NIV. It's also up on the screen, uh, or you should be able to see it online as well if you're tuning in that way. We'll read from verses 10 through to 20. It says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I've, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every and every, any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except only you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is more that be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory 
forever and ever. Amen. All right, so as we read what Paul writes here in this letter to the Philippians, you can see why it may be a little confusing to us. The reason for that is that Paul's attitude towards money and the Philippian church's attitude towards money are both what we might call counter-cultural. They're opposite to what our culture and even the culture of the day would say to us. They're not the same way of thinking as everyone else. Paul has an attitude of contentment. He says he's content rather than an attitude of covetousness. Covetousness means always wanting something else. And the Philippians have got an attitude of generosity rather than just like saying, well, we haven't got much, so we're going to hold on tight to what we do have. And we're going to look at both the Philippian church's attitude and we're going to look at Paul's attitude. And we'll start with the Philippian church. You've got to say, actually, the church in Philippi is probably the most generous church in the New Testament. Paul writes about them in a letter that he writes to the Corinthian church. And uh, he's giving them some instruction on giving. And he talks about the church in Philippi. Uh, he talks about the Macedonian churches. The Philippi church was one of those. And he writes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. So it's worth looking at that because it'll tell us a little bit about the church in Philippi. He says this to the Corinthians. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded for us the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. What he's talking about was a, an offering that he was taking up for the churches in Jerusalem, that the churches had been affected by famine. Paul was taking up an offering. And these churches were, they didn't have a lot of money themselves. Philippi church didn't have money, but they really wanted to join in. They really wanted to take part in this offering. Why would they do it if they're going through severe difficulties and they're poor? I mean, Paul knows they're poor. He says, I wish more would be credited to your account. That's what I'm looking for. How does that result in them being extremely generous? How were they able to give more than they were able to give? If you look at it, that's what Paul's saying. He said they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Oh, well, I'll give what I can. I'll give more than I can. That doesn't make sense. It's kind of miraculous giving. The Philippian church had clearly understood some things about God. Here's what they'd understood. The first thing they'd understood was that we have a generous, giving God. God is a giver. Other religions have gods who are takers. What I mean by that is other religions would say, oh, in order to get God to not be angry with you, in order to appease their anger, because you don't always do things that are right, and God's angry with you, so to get them to not be angry with you, you've got to give them offerings. You've got to give them offerings. You've got to give them money. You've got to give them something of what you've got. And then maybe they won't be angry with you anymore. So it's taking. Or they might say, you know, in order to get God to have favor on you, to like you, you've got to give to God. The God of the Bible isn't like that. 
The Bible tells us that actually God is a giving God. We receive so much from God by his grace. Paul traveled to Athens and he talked to people there about God and he said this to the Athenians, God isn't served by human hands as if he needed anything. He's God. He didn't need anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Paul was saying, he's not an idol. He's not one of these gods that you have to worship and give to. He's a giving God. He doesn't need anything from us. The Bible tells us he doesn't only give us life and breath. The Bible tells us that we are sinners, but instead of punishment that we deserve, God gives us Jesus. And through Jesus, who comes and lives a sinless life and then dies for us, the penalty for our sin is paid. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us grace. He gives us mercy. He wipes us clean so it's as though we've never sinned. And then Jesus rises from the dead. And because Jesus rises from the dead, God says, you are going to have a resurrection as well. You are going to be raised from the dead. You've got an eternity in heaven with me. And then God says, and that's not even enough. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the Spirit of Christ to live within you, to dwell within you, to empower you in your life. And then I tell you what as well, I'm going to give you access to me, the God, the Father. You can come into my throne room. In the past, you couldn't come anywhere near. But now, because Jesus has made a way, you can come and you can pray to me and you can call on me and I will hear you and I will answer you and I will give you the things that you ask for. And he says, and as well, I'm going to give you other people. I'm going to give you the church. I'm going to give you each other to encourage each other, to love each other. And then by my spirit, I'm going to give you gifts. I'm going to pour out gifts to you. I'm going to give you gifts for ministry, to serve one another, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, not just for you as well, but for the world. I'm going to give you all of that. And I'm going to provide for you financially. And I'm going to ask you to be good stewards of those finances, but I'm going to lavish things upon you. God is a giving God. The Bible tells us time and time again about how God gives. And the world doesn't see it. The world would seek, the enemy would seek to distort that perspective of God and say, oh God, he always wants to take things from you. He always wants to ruin your fun. He always wants to spoil things and he's a mean spirit of God and a taker. No, God is a giver. God is a wonderful giver. And what he gives us is intended to be shared with others. So when he gives us the good news of the gospel and we can get find salvation in him. Then he says, and now go and share that. Go and share that news with others. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and then the Holy Spirit. Give, give what I've given you and give it away. Use the gifts I've given you to bless others in the community and in the church. Give of your financial resources. Give to share with others. Bless others. Whatever it is I've given you, you can give and I'll give back to you. And it's a cycle of him giving to us and us giving out to the world. And we see the early church getting hold of it. They grasp what it's about. The Philippian church are one of them. We see it in Acts as well. 
You see, before the New Testament, before Jesus' death and resurrection, God was still a giving God. God still gave to his people. And we see it time and time again in the Old Testament. But he, he established ways that we were to give back to him and give to others, uh, to give to the work of the temple, to give to the Levites who gave their time. And so he established this system called a tithe. And a tithe was really 10% of a person's income. 10% of what they got, they would give towards the temple, say. And um, so many Christians today feel that that's a, that's a good principle. That's the amount of money that they should give to the church. And it's not a bad starting point. The thing is that we have to realize is in the Old Testament, there were three tithes. There was a tithe to give to the temple, but then there's another tithe to give to the poor. Two of the tithes were to be given yearly, annually. And the third tithe was to be given every three years. Um, so if you equaled it out, that would be about 23.33% of your income. Some Christians who think you should tithe, they don't tend to go for the 23% one. Uh, they'll go, no, 10% good. <laughs> but that's what the tithe used to be. The New Testament doesn't encourage, well, it doesn't instruct, should I say, the New Testament doesn't instruct Christians to tithe. It kind of makes sense because many of the churches that Paul had established, like the Philippian church, they were full of Gentile people. They weren't Jews. They'd never given a tithe to the temple uh, and to the Levites. They didn't know anything of that. And so Paul didn't say, hey, you should come up with the Jewish system, fit into the Jewish system. In fact, actually, in some ways, he was saying you don't have to fit into the Jewish system in other areas. But Paul and others in the New Testament certainly did encourage giving because they'd, they'd seen this whole um, thing about God giving to us and us giving back to him. So the New Testament, in many places, encourages us to give generously. For example, Paul in 1 Corinthians in chapter 16 and verse 2 He's writing about a collection that he's taking up to help others, and this is what he says. He says, on the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I arrive, no collections will need to be made. So what Paul's encouraging there is he's encouraging people to give regularly. First day of every week, that's a good thing to do encouraging giving regularly in proportion to people's income. So he's not saying, okay, each of you are giving $200. That's what we're doing, $200. Everyone's giving $200. He's saying, no, no, no. Some of you are going to be able to give way and above $200. And some of you are not going to be able to give $200 because that's not how much money you're getting in. He said, give in accordance with how much you get. So Kids, teenagers, if you get an allowance or if you've got a summer job or you earn any money, then you are encouraged and you're able to give just like your parents might do who are out working and earning. And uh, one of the things that we've tried to do, because most of our giving now is online and by e-transfer or by Tithely, but we're aware that a lot of young people and some other people as well are not able to give um, in that way. And so we've put a mailbox over on the um, wall out there in the, in the entrance area, and you can save up your money because once a month, on the first Sunday of the month, 
we're going to take that and we're going to add that to our offering. Now, in a sense, you can put it in there any time, but that's when we're going to do it. So you could save up every week your money, and you can go and put it in there, and that will also be given towards the offerings and the, and the, uh, things that, the money that we collect and take up. You might not be able to give a whole, amount, whole lot of money, but if your parents are working, they might be able to give more than you. But everyone can be a part of this. So we see that the church in the New Testament, the early church, suddenly understood how generous God was to them. I mean, in the book of Acts, it's like really amazing. People, so many people come to know Christ all in one go, 3,000 in the first day. And suddenly it's like, wow, I've understood the grace of God. I've understood how generous God is towards us. I've understood how sinful we were, but now how God is pouring out his grace on them. And so we see what happened. Acts chapter 2, verse 45 says this, the people sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They sold their stuff so that they could give to needy people. Now, this isn't just getting rid of some stuff that they don't have any use for anymore. That can be good. We've got a system here called Give and Take Away. We do it online. If you're regularly with us, you can be part of that, and it's where we can give or receive things for free that you need that people don't have use for anymore. That's a good thing to do. But this is over and above that. It's selling things that they had and needed uh, to give to other people who were in need. Acts chapter 4.32 says, No one claimed any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. So if they had a lawnmower, they didn't say, well, this is my lawnmower. You could come buy your own lawnmower. It was like, no, 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 you can use my lawnmower. It's not even my lawnmower. We'll have it together. It was sharing. Acts 2 verses later, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to everyone who had need. People are selling their houses, and they're giving to people who have need. Now, presumably, these might be extra land or extra houses, but, but what it was was people were, who had a lot were able to help people who didn't have a lot. It wasn't some sort of communist society. No one's telling people that they had to do that. People, it wasn't like no one's owning anything anymore. People are still owning land and property, but their attitude has changed. Their spirit has changed. They're suddenly living in a generosity towards others in the church that they never had before. And it wasn't forced on them. It was a response to God's amazing love and generosity towards us. So anything we can give back to God or to others is small in comparison to what God's given us. And they got this principle as well, secondly, that God is going to continue to give. And God is continue to, going to continue to bless. So we can freely give because we know We've got a heavenly Father who takes care of us, who loves us. We don't need to worry about things anymore. So he's going to keep blessing us, and then we can keep blessing others, and he'll keep blessing us. Paul explains it in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 11. He says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He's not just talking about uh, sowing corn. He's talking about giving. Whoever gives sparingly will receive sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Then he says this, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, 
I'm not telling you what to give, Paul's saying. You decide what to give. You do what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not because someone's making you do it. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God's able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. He goes on to say, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So Paul's encouraging generous, cheerful giving. He doesn't want anyone to give because they feel pressured to. And he says, as we give, we bless other people. God will bless us. We'll be able to be more generous. God will be praised and glorified because it's all going to show just how wonderful he is. That's God's system. That's what God's established. It is completely different from the world's ways. Completely different. And the Philippian church have got hold of it. They've understood it. They don't have a lot of money, but they've heard Paul's in prison. Paul's in prison, and he's, he's going to be hungry. He's not going to be, you know, it's not, he's not eating on the state's dime like we might be if we're in prison. He's, he's going to need things. So they take up an offering, and they, Epaphroditus is going from them, and he's going to go and visit Paul. Hey, Epaphroditus, we've taken up this offering. Go and take it to Paul. You go and bless him. And it, it wasn't the first time they'd done it. They'd done it many times before, as Paul says. And Paul receives this gift, and he says, oh, it's, it's like a fragrant offering. It's an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. In other words, he's saying it, it, it's worshiping God. You're worshiping God by what you're doing. It's like you're bringing your offerings and it's worship. And you, yes, you're giving it to me, but hey, it's God you're worshiping. If you remember back in Genesis 4, we see the first offerings. And, th and this was talking, you know, it talks in similar language about fragrant offering to God. We see Cain and Abel. You remember Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel? And they both bring an offering to God. And Abel brings an offering of the fats of, uh, of animals that he's, he's looking after, sheep probably. And he brings that offering to God. And Cain brings an offering of the first fruits of his corn. So they're both bringing an offering. It's like, oh yeah, they're both doing the same thing. They're both, they're both giving to God. And the Bible in Genesis 4.4 says, The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he didn't look with favor. And you might look at that passage, I don't know, when I was younger, I looked at that passage and was like, well, what's, what's God got against Cain? What Cain's bringing, is, does God just like meat or something? Is he not really into vegetarianism? Is it, why is he not liking Cain's offering? Why is he only liking Abel's offering? God was looking at the hearts of each of them. God knew what was going on in their hearts. God knew that Abel's offering, he just had understood God was a provider, and he's like, I'd love to give back to you. And Cain was more along the lines of, oh, Abel's given an offering. Well, now I'm going to look really bad if I don't give an offering. I suppose I'd better give an offering of what I've got. His heart is different. We don't know exactly what was going on. The Bible doesn't say, but it, it shows us his heart, because in a few verses' time, he's killing his brother. His heart's not good. Well, God saw that even before. God saw that when he brought his offering. So he doesn't look with favor on it. 
God doesn't want us to give reluctantly or under compulsion. He loves a cheerful giver. Don't give to God because you feel forced into it. God's looking for a people who are responding to his love, who love to receive the blessings that he pours out, and then he loves to see us responding freely and generously towards others. And we can do it in so many ways. We can, we can see people's needs within the church, maybe even in our life groups, maybe in the wider church, maybe in society. Some of us will be blessed and, and, and have plenty, and there'll be others who don't, and we can help each other out. It doesn't have to happen corporately. We can all do it individually. And even people in need in our society as well. And we can give to the work of the church in the same way that the Levites uh, received um, money from, the, from everyone's tithe. We can give to the work of the church. The work of the church goes towards paying those of people who are on staff. Uh, it goes towards the upkeep of the building. goes towards funding all the ministries that we do. So we can give in many different ways. We can be generous individually, but as a church, we can be generous as well. As a church, we can take what people have given to us, and we can, we can say, you know, just in the same way that the um, early church laid the money at the apostles' feet, and they made decisions about where that money went, we, as those of us who are elders in the church, we can look and say, hey, we really want to bless this ministry, or this other church, or this organization, and we do that with money that's already been given to us because that's the, that's the principle that happens. We receive and we say, we're not going to hold on to it tight. We want to give as well. So over the summer, we were very aware that Green Hill Lake Camp was being severely affected because of COVID-19. There was under a lot of financial pressure. And so we said, hey, let's just give them a gift. So we gave them a gift of $10,000. And we wanted to just bless them and support them and stand with them as a camp. We didn't feel any pressure to do it. We did it because we wanted to do it. We didn't say, well, I'm not sure we've got enough money to be able to do that. We were like, hey, we're going to trust in God. We've received so much, and we have recently. We've received so much from God, even financially. And we said, hey, we want to use some of that to bless others. Just the same way that Philippians did with Paul. So that's the Philippian church responding to the needs of Paul. Let's just look briefly at the response of Paul to the gift that he got. Paul says, first of all, he rejoiced greatly when he received the gift. But it wasn't like he was rejoicing because he'd got the money. It wasn't like, you know, you watch um, The Price is Right or, uh, or one of these game shows where you spin the wheel and it's like, you've won $25,000. They're like, yeah, and they start doing all these moves. They're like, ah. You know, it, it wasn't, Paul wasn't doing that in prison because he suddenly got this gift of money from the Philippians. He wasn't thinking, now I can have a steak supper, so yay. He, he said, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. He's rejoicing because he's like, oh, I love this Philippian church. I've poured it, I've, I've been wanting them to understand the grace of God and everything, and oh, what a wonderful church. I know they're still getting it. They're still seeing it. They're still, they're poor, but they're giving. They're going to be blessed by God. They're glorifying God. I'm rejoicing that that has happened. He's rejoicing in the Lord. He knows they're going to be blessed by God. He says, oh, my God is going to meet all your needs according to his riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And the second thing that Paul wanted the Philippians to know as well was something about him. He wanted to know what they, he'd come to understand. 
uh, about God, and he wanted them to understand it. And it's this. He'd learned to be content, whatever the circumstances of life. And it's important for us to understand this as well. Because otherwise, you can hear some of what I've been saying about, hey, God gives to us, and then we give, and then God blesses us again, and we give again, and then God gives us even more. And that sounds very similar to some of the teaching that prosperity teachers will teach. And prosperity teaching is a distortion of the gospel. Prosperity teaching says, hey, if you want to get rich, this is how you get rich. You give to God, and then God's going to give back to you. So you should do that, and you can get rich. And do you know how you can start? Give to me. Give to my ministry. You give to my ministry, and God's going to bless you. That's a distortion of the gospel, and those people are con artists and should not be on TV. Paul's not doing that. Paul isn't asking the Philippians for more money. Paul's not saying, God's going to bless you, Philippi. Just give me some more. Keep it coming. He's not saying that. In fact, he wants to be very clear to them. He doesn't even consider himself to be in need. He says, I've got enough. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. He said, I know what it's like to have lots of things. I know what it's like to have good things. And I know what it's like to have nothing. And I've learned to praise God and be content, whatever the situation. It is well with my soul. All of us in our lives have times when we're blessed, and all of us have time when we struggle. Sometimes we can do, we've got money and people bless us, or we've got money, we can do vacations and buy things, and then sometimes we can't. Sometimes we're hard-pressed. Paul's not setting out a simple formula of give and God will make you rich. Paul's saying, sometimes you're going to have nothing. And I'd like you to learn this secret as well to be content with nothing. He'd learned the secret of being content. It's a big secret to learn because our culture doesn't want us to learn this secret. Our culture doesn't encourage us to be content. Our culture wants us to covet, to always want more. We are constantly bombarded with advertising, which encourages us to want more and to be discontent. So we buy a new phone. And we get this phone, and the company promises it's going to be the best phone we've ever had. It's going to be the phone that answers all of our problems. It can do all of these things, and it's going to make us so happy, and it's going to make our lives so much easier and so much better. And then the next year, the same company releases a new phone. And then they say, you know that old phone that you bought last year? That's not really that good these days. It's not going to be good enough. It's not, you're not going to be satisfied with that. You want this new phone. You need this phone because this phone's going to do all of these things and it's going to make you really happy. And this phone, yeah, you don't really want that. You need to switch from this phone to this phone. And then this phone will meet all your needs. Until next year when we're going to bring out a new phone and then this one's not going to be any good and this one's going to be good. And it keeps going on and it keeps encouraging us to want something else. It keeps encouraging us to be discontent and unhappy with what we've got. And Paul's learned a secret about being content in every and any situation. And here's the secret, and he tells us what it is. He says, I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. This is how I've learned the secret of being content. 
This is how I go through living my life. I've learned I can do it through Christ, and he's giving me strength. Paul's secret is through finding his satisfaction in Christ alone. We receive all that we need from him. He's not coming up with seven secrets of an abundant life that we can buy in the bookstore. He's saying, I've learned it's all about Christ. Christ's enough. That verse is the verse that is probably taken most out of context of any verse in the New Testament. You hear people quoting it, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It sounds like they're some sort of superhero. You know, I'm going to go in and I'm going to smash this thing because I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. Paul's not saying that. Paul's saying, I can resist all this pressure and temptation to want more, 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 and to cover and to be dissatisfied. How can I withstand all of that that's going on in society the whole time? The only way I can withstand it is through Christ who gives me strength. That's how I withstand it. You don't tend to hear many people quoting it in that context. That's the context Paul's giving it in. Christ is enough. Paul is blessed by the gift from the Philippians, but he's not looking for more. He's not trying to manipulate them. He says, I'm amply supplied now. I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. God wants us to learn the secret of being content with what we've got. And again, be aware of some of the false teachers on the internet, people who might have got big names, might have got famous people in their church, might be coming out with some great music. Beware of what they're saying. Listen to what they're saying. Because some of them are saying things like, hey, God wants you to have the desires of your hearts because you are a child of the king and you deserve the best. People would say that. That doesn't foster contentment in our lives. That fosters discontentment. Paul has learned the secret of contentment. Okay, so how do we respond to all this? Firstly, like Paul, let's learn to cultivate contentment. Let's focus in on the many blessings that God's given us and showered upon us. I've already recounted what those are. So much more that God has done for us than the empty promises of the world. And we can do it through Christ who strengthens us. We can be grateful. We can be content individually, corporately as well. We can, we can look at this building and say, look at this building God has blessed us with. We didn't even think we were going to be able to meet in here until we'd done a load of work on the renovations, and here we are. Wow. We can be so satisfied with what God has provided us and what God's provided us in the church with each other. Look around. There's some great people here who will strengthen and encourage you. So we can learn to be content. And we can also learn to give cheerfully and generously once we've understood what God's given us. We can give generously to those people in need in our church or in our society. We can be generous tippers. We can bless people in many ways. We can loan out our equipment. If we're blessed with a holiday home, we can let people use it. If we're blessed with vehicles, let people use them. There's so many ways. We can give generously to the church, whether it's our ongoing work, whether it's to the 
to the building. We are going to do some renovations on this building. Not that we're discontent with it, not that we're unsatisfied, but we believe that God is wanting to use this building to do so many other things, to bless our community. We want to be able to have space when COVID restrictions are over that we can do some kids' work and things like that, make space for those things. Eventually, we're going to want to use this area here for, when, for the things God's got for us. So we're going we're gonna to still give towards that. We're going to have a gift day in a few weeks' time around Thanksgiving. We haven't had a gift day this year. We're going to have a gift day. It's an opportunity for us to give towards that renovation. And obviously, we hope people will be able to feel they can give generously and cheerfully towards it. Listen, I've not, I'm not preaching this passage for that. That's not the whole manipulative way of saying, oh, give some money to this. This passage is here anyway. Listen, if you feel reluctant, if you feel manipulated, if you feel pressure in any way for any of this, whether it's week by week or for this building, please don't give. Don't be like Cain. Don't be like, oh, I suppose I ought to. God will look on your heart. I'm not, you know, he's, he's not going to receive it in the same way because he's looking for a heart response. He's looking for a heart response. He's more interested in your heart. To be honest, not in a bad way. He's more interested in you understanding what a giving God he is. He's more interested in you receiving from him. Maybe you've never understood that. Maybe you've never known what it is to be loved by God, to be truly loved by God. You've never understood it. Maybe you've never understood he forgives your sin. Maybe you've never understood all the blessings. He wants you to understand all of that first. That's why we say when, you know, when we used to hand baskets around for offering, we used to say, if you're visiting us, don't feel to give. Some people feel, oh, there's a basket coming around. I've got to... No, no, you don't. You receive. You understand what God's done. Focus on what God's done for you. Christ is enough. Jesus said, you can't worship God and money. And he's right. Of course he's right. When it comes down to it, we're either going to worship money, because most of our world does, or we're going to worship God with our money. We worship money, or we use our money to worship God. Those are the two options. God would love us to do the latter, to be caught up in what he's doing to bless others, to show his love and grace and generosity and kindness to the world. And we can do it. We can do it. We can do all this through Christ who gives us strength. So why don't we pray as we end this morning? I'm just going to ask Angela to come back up and lead us in one final song. Why don't we stand together? If you're able to do that, I'm just going to pray before Angela closes us with a worship song. Father God, I thank you that you are such a generous God. I thank you and praise you that we can read your word and we can see time and time again how you lavish, lavish us with such wonderful blessings. And Lord, we receive those freely and we can't pay for them and we can never pay you back. And oh God, I pray we'll be able to keep receiving from you. But I pray you'll change our hearts so that more and more we can be a generous people. We can be a people who are content with where we're at in life. We're not always striving after the next thing. We can say, hey, it's well with my soul. And yet we can give freely to others and bless them. 
and then receive from you again and bless again. Help us to get hold of this, Lord. If we've not got hold of it, if we're still in the world's way of thinking about things, Lord, we need your power, we need your strength to break through in our lives. We're not wanting to respond out of pressure. We need you to change us, Lord. Thank you, you do. Thank you, you love us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.